This Wednesday, at work, I noticed an odd spectrum when I was looking at one of the lasers that I was testing. I went to my boss to talk to him about it, and I pitched the idea that maybe there was some Raman conversion happening, where light enters a medium and slowly loses energy to that, to that material that it's passing through. And as it loses energy, its wavelength shifts, and its wavelength becomes longer and longer as its energy goes down. My boss told me, no, I don't think that's what's happening. He thought that it was something called my scattering. Now, neither of us actually was quite sure of how to pronounce this. Um, it's spelled M-I-E, and I believe it's a name, but it got me thinking. Now, my scattering is what happens when light enters a material where the particles in the material are larger than one wavelength of the light. Rayleigh scattering is the opposite. When light enters a material where the particles are much smaller, typically less than one-tenth of the wavelength of light, you get Rayleigh scattering. Now, without going too in-depth on this, Rayleigh scattering is responsible for the color of the sky. You see, Rayleigh scattering operates with a proportion of 1 over the wavelength to the fourth power. So as your wavelength gets longer, your scattering gets much less. As a result, red light around 800 nanometers gets scattered far, far less than blue light around 400 nanometers. And as a result, red light just comes straight through and blue light gets scattered all through the sky and the sky looks blue to us. The crafty response to this is, well, why isn't the sky purple then? Because purple's an even shorter wavelength than blue. Well, the sun doesn't make too much purple light and that's all there is to it. There's so much more blue than purple that even though purple is scattered even more strongly, we still end up with blue. But I digress. All of this talk of scattering, and specifically, these are both a form of elastic scattering where energy is not lost to the material. All of this talk got me thinking again about Coulomb scattering. And then it hit me. The thing that I was missing before is that Coulomb scattering has another name. Rutherford scattering. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about those alpha particles, the helium nuclei, being launched into gold foil? That was Rutherford, and the effect that he noticed was Rutherford scattering, also frequently referred to as Coulomb scattering. And because that finally clicked this Wednesday, I'm here to talk to you about muon tomography. Muon tomography. The big hurdle for me understanding this fully before was that I kept looking at Coulomb scattering and trying to remember how, what exactly is that? And being somewhat busy, I never really took the time to dive too deep into it. But the other day, when I was starting to look into it again, when all of this got my memory jogged, suddenly I remembered a lot of the time it's called Rutherford scattering and not Coulomb scattering. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Wikipedia page, 
Even there, it's called Rutherford scattering and not Coulomb scattering. So, what is this, whichever name you want to call it? Well, it's one of the more simple forms of scattering. You get a charged particle nearing another charged particle, and they push each other away. Coulomb scattering, specifically, is an elastic form of scattering, where energy is not lost when something's deflected. So, going back to the very beginning with muon tomography, let's look at where this starts. We start off with primary cosmic rays. Typically, these are protons or photons with a very high energy incumbent on the Earth's surface. When they hit the atmosphere, they start running the risk of hitting another particle. And the farther down they get, and more so, the farther they get into heavy elements, the more likely they are to hit it. When these cosmic rays hit something, doesn't really matter what, well, they're moving very, very fast. And even though the other things aren't, they're still at a very high speed relative to each other. Which brings us back to the particle accelerator. What happens when we slam two very energetic things into each other? They break off into new and strange subatomic particles. These cosmic rays do much the same thing. And here we get secondary cosmic rays. These include things like positrons, pions, and you guessed it, muons. And that's what we're measuring here. So the cosmic rays come down. They hit something, and they shatter off into a bunch of other particles, including a muon. That muon then starts going through stuff. The muon is interesting, because it's a charged particle. So these muons enter some matter. Now, muons don't live for very long. I believe I said this before, they have a half-life of approximately 2.2 microseconds. They move very fast, and because they're relatively dense, they can penetrate much farther into materials than most things can. And believe it or not, enough cosmic rays hit the Earth that we see approximately one muon per square centimeter per minute all over the Earth. So now let's jump back to Coulomb scattering. Two charged particles near each other, and they push each other away. Now when these muons, which you may recall, are essentially electrons with a lot more mass, when these muons enter a material, the bigger the nucleus, the more likely they are to scatter with it. Whether this comes from them scattering off of the electron cloud around the atom, or being kind of pulled into a, a slingshot orbit almost, to use a gravitational metaphor, around the positively charged nucleus that attracts them, these muons are going to scatter. And actually they'll scatter several times because they're going to keep passing through materials. But muon tomography is the process behind looking at all of these muons coming out of something and being able to piece together the data to find what that thing was. Now Dan touched on an interesting application of this. An old building, if I recall correctly, in Italy that's starting to come apart but nobody knows how it was made or what materials are in it, so they can't really work on it. Well, muon tomography is a great way to look inside. What else can you look at with muon tomography? Well, let's say you wanted to find a previously undiscovered tunnel into a pyramid. It's been done. Let's say you want to map out 
a volcano underground. It's been done. Let's say you want to detect nuclear materials, either in a country that isn't supposed to have them, or crossing the border into a country that really doesn't want them. That is one of the primary applications of muon tomography. And because they don't lose as much energy through travel, and thus can penetrate more deeply than x-rays or other forms of radiation, they are excellent for probing into shielded locations. So if you try to get a big chunk of uranium through customs with some sort of shielding around it, you're not going to fool the muons. They're going to punch right through and know exactly what's in there. And that is muon tomography. Took me a couple of weeks to tell you about it, more than I was expecting. But that's life sometimes. For sources and more information on Rayleigh scattering, my scattering, Coulomb scattering, muon tomography, and why the sky is blue, please visit our website, www.podcast.com.net. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T D-O-T C-O-M dot net. Today's bird of the day is the emperor penguin, because I saw penguins on TV last night. Have a great weekend, everybody.